Hey everyone, Dave Hagen here. Do you hear the one about the guy with $1 million in student loan debt? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick. Today we're going to talk about student loan debt again, but today we're going to talk about a very specific instance of student loan debt. Uh, but before we start talking about that, I want to welcome uh, Nick, as always, into the studio, Nick Appel. And today we have uh, my good friend Brian Reed uh, with us again today. So Brian, Nick, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. So a few months back, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about this orthodontist who lives in Utah that has over a million dollars in student loan debt. And I know what you're all are thinking. Sounds crazy, right? When I first read this, I thought, what? So... I want to talk about that a little bit today, and I, I don't want to judge. I'm not going to mention the fellow's name, even though it was in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, the purpose isn't to judge or criticize. It's just to learn what can we take forward from this um, in terms of incorporating some of these lessons or some of these things into our, our own personal financial plan and into our own personal life. So um, I thought that would be an interesting thing to, to talk about. Um, first, let's let's look at some national statistics. Very interesting. There is $1.4 trillion in student loan debt in the United States at an all-time high. There's more student loan debt now than there is in, than there's credit cards in the United States. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. According to the Department of Education, the typical student graduates with about $17,000 in, in debt. But the number of students that graduate with more than $100,000 in debt has grown to 2.5 million people. And there's 101 people in the United States that now owe more than a million dollars in student loan debt. Think of that, 100 people that owe over a million dollars in student loan debt. You think they can repay that? I'm, I'm not so sure. One third of all graduate school borrowers, graduate school borrowers, are in a loan forgiveness program. So this is really a problem that's mushroomed oh, in the last five, six, seven years, and it's really becoming more and more of an issue, especially in the realm of graduate school borrowers, people that are going on to graduate school. Uh, one third are in a loan forgiveness program. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, what a loan forgiveness program is. But these are some amazing statistics. Now let's take a look at some statistics with respect to this orthodontist uh, in particular. Um, at the end of the first year, uh, when he was going on, this is after undergraduate, by the way, um, the first year of his graduate school, he had $43,000 in debt. He's paying 2.7%. That's not too bad. End of his second year, that amount had grown to $115,000. Uh, 
the interest rate was now up to 4.7. So every year the balance is growing as he borrows more money. Uh, the interest rate seems to be going up. At the end of the third year, he owed 230000 End of the fourth year, he owed $340,000. And at the end of three more years after that, which was the period of his residency, he owed $600,000. So he actually borrowed, actually borrowed $600,000. He now owes a million, but he actually borrowed $600,000. Then... When he finishes all of this, his dentistry education and his orthodontia residency, he goes to work. And the first year, he puts it on forbearance, which makes sense. Your first year when you're out of school, I guess you're not making that much money. Um, and so you apply and they forbear it, but not the interest. Now the interest continues to run. So now he finishes his year of forbearance. He's now seven, eight years into this. And he owes a million bucks. And then he refinanced in 2015, according to the Wall Street Journal or article. And he was able to reduce his interest rate, reduce his interest rate to 7.25%. Now, remember that, 7.25%. Now, he's in a government repayment plan based upon income. This is one of these forgiveness or forbearance, not forbearance, but forgiveness programs. So 10% of his discretionary income, this is the deal that he made, 10% of his discretionary income goes to repaying the debt for 25 years. At the end of 25 years, the balance is forgiven. Well, the school's been paid, but who's, who's paying that? Guess what? You and me, the taxpayers are paying that. So that's a pretty good deal. Here he's, um, he's got his degree. He's paying, I forget what the amount was, $1,500, $1,800 a month for 25 years, which is a, you know, it's a sizable chunk right now, not so much some years down the line. Basically 10% of his discretionary income. And then the balance is forgiven. Now that sounds pretty good. But the kicker is, the amount that's forgiven 25 years from now could potentially be deemed taxable income by the government, and he's going to have to pay income tax on that. Now, I'm not a tax person, and you don't want to get uh, uh, your tax advice from someone on a podcast, but accountants tell me there's some ways that people don't have to pay tax on that forgiven debt. For example, if they're insolvent. But if this orthodontist makes money and his assets exceed his, his, his liabilities, he could get a tax bill. The article says he could get a tax bill for $700,000. So this gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And he's trading student loan debt for tax debt. Um, we end up paying the difference. And guess what? The graduate school got their money. Years and years and years ago, they're doing just fine, thank you. They have no skin in the game, if you will. They have nothing at risk. They have no chips on the table. They've done pretty well. But the, this guy is going to struggle with this for the rest of his natural life. The taxpayers are going to pick up the balance, and he potentially could have a, have a tax bill. So what is this orthodontist, what does his lifestyle look like? Well, uh, he lives in a home that they own in, in Utah, and the article says that um, the down payment was made by his wife from an inheritance, fair enough, uh, but they own a home in Utah. Um, he got kids. 
um, he makes about two hundred and twenty-five thousand uh, dollars working at, in, through a, a corporate uh, orthodontic uh, orthodontia practice. Um, so he's doing pretty well. The, the median income, by the way, um, in the United States for for dentists, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, is about one hundred and fifty-eight thousand a year. So he's doing way better than the you know the the average guy. Um, and by the way, the median for all the rest of us in the United States, a little over 50000 So he's doing three times better than the rest of us based upon median income, or at least the dentists are doing three times better, and he's doing better than the dentists. So he, he's doing pretty good. I wouldn't say he's uh, on the road to easy street, but uh, living in Utah where I think the, the cost to live is less, um, certainly beautiful to live in Utah. Um, and doing pretty well. Now, the article also says that, uh, you know, he drives a used Tesla. Now, that really, that really makes me, uh, that rubs me raw, Brian. <laughs> Cause I would, but it's used, David. But it's, it's used, used, so it's okay. I mean, I'd, I've looked at used Tesla, and I've gone, no, <laughs> maybe not yet. Maybe, maybe someday. Um, I still like my, uh, my Volt. But, and, and it says that they recently went to a vacation in, uh, on a vacation in, in Cuba, which is very trendy, very nice. It would be fascinating to go to Cuba. Um, but this is all cutting-edge stuff. He's, he's got a very nice lifestyle. Um, he's paying you know, less than the full amount back. And um, some of this kind of um, is, is bothersome, I think, to, to me and, and to some other people. But it, it is what it is. So... What can we take away from this? What can we learn from this? Um, well, it seems to me first that the danger of, of interest. He borrowed 600 and he owes a mill. Um, he's paying somewhere north of 7.25 because he refinanced down to that. And remember, we've said time and time again that money doubles, whether it's in your pocket or you owe it, every 10 years at seven percent or every seven years at ten percent now this is a key concept that we've talked about so many times on these podcasts it's called the the miracle of compound interest <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious that's what it's no called. it is a miracle yeah, yeah it's a <laughs> or it, it can be a nightmare depending can, on absolutely which way you're going absolutely if uh, uh it, it, you know if you got the money in your pocket it's amazing if you owe it it's a, it's a nightmare, and this is a key concept over and over and over again. Whenever you look at an interest rate, anything that starts moving up into six, seven, eight, really dangerous. When I had student loans, it was two or three percent. That's manageable potentially, although it was on three or four thousand dollars. But this money doubles at these interest rates, and it can kill people financially. Another takeaway that, you know, this, this uh, orthodontia education over seven years, uh, $600,000. You know, I, I wonder, did, did you pencil that out? Did you think you're going to be able to repay that? Even with the good income that he's making, how's that going to get repaid? Now, admittedly, when, when he started school, the, the amount was lower. In fact, the article says that um, his initial estimate of the total cost of his education was about $400,000, but they didn't factor in increases in inflation and blah, 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 blah. So it ends up being 600000 and then ramping up to, you know, a million dollars with, with interest. So extremely expensive school. And for people going to these expensive schools, 
um, medical school, med school, um, uh, orthodontia school, um, how are you realistically going to be able to to pay that back and over what period of time and, and at what interest rates? Um, another takeaway, uh, we, we are going to pay that back as taxpayers. If it can't be paid, these loans are with the government and we are going to pay these back. That hardly seems fair. Why am I going to pay someone else's student loan, student loan debt? I paid mine. I paid mine and I, I struggled. I struggled. Um, and this student loan debt helps these individuals earn higher incomes as evidenced by the article. And why are we going to do that? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand the social policy behind it. I don't think that as a country we are um, that lacking in, in orthodontists or dentists or um, doctors or, you know, do I even say lawyers? There's, there's too many lawyers. Dave, with this debt forgiveness, is there any obligation for community service, donation of your time, something? You know, to my knowledge, nothing. Just nothing. And that hardly seems right. Now, there are other forgiveness programs. For example, someone who gets a, a graduate degree can work for a nonprofit. And if they do that, then they will get credits or reductions on their student loan. But in this context, no, public service has, has nothing to do that, uh, to do with that. But, you know, you raise a good point. As a matter of social policy, should something be required? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Another interesting takeaway is that a lot of these students who have this debt forgiven could end up with significant tax bills later down the line. And that's going to be a, a problem for them potentially. Potentially, but isn't it, couldn't it also be a little bit of a paper tiger? Eventually they can, if, you know, they're, they're paying their taxes on time and then eventually they just accept that I have this tax debt and then they wait the appropriate amount of time and they theoretically could file bankruptcy and it's gone. Well, you're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. They are taking one kind of debt, which is student loan debt, which is not dischargeable by and large um, in a bankruptcy with no statute of limitations and converting it through the forgiveness problem, uh, the forgiveness plan into a tax bill, and if they wait a certain number of years after the taxes are assessed or they potentially have to pay that, um, yeah, that could be discharged. Or if someone is planning in a very clever way, they make sure that they stay insolvent on paper for 25 years so that when the forgiveness of debt occurs and has to be paid on, they're insolvent, and maybe there's a backdoor for them and not having to pay tax on that. But what kind of social policy do we have where people get degrees and graduate degrees where they want to stay insolvent for 25 <laughs> years so they can get rid of their loans? It just doesn't make sense. It seems to me that the bigger issue question, what have you, is how do we, how do we get people educations at lower rates? How do we provide education more efficiently? Undergraduate and graduate, it would seem to me, but that's a different, um, you know, that, that's a different issue. Um, another interesting thing out of the article, student loans can now be used to pay living expenses. Um, 
back when I went to school, you would go to registration and they would say, here's your student loan check, please sign the back, and you'd hand it over to the tuition. And it was up to you to come up with money for your beer, I mean your living expenses um, and, your, and your food and that kind of thing. Um, this particular fella, according to the article, um, was driving around in dental school in a used Mercedes-Benz paying uh, $390. Now, there you go, another used car, so there's a sacrifice. But, um, you know, here's a fella driving a, a, an MBZ and a, and a Tesla, um, you know, with student loans. Wait a second. I'm wondering where the sacrifice is in that, Dave. No, I hear you. Because there's, all right, so he's driving a used Mercedes-Benz yeah. and paying $390 a month. Right. All right, guess what? $390 a month will get you something brand new. No, I so, get you. I'm saying if he was driving a 1989 Tercel, you know, something that was barely running, then I'm going to be more accepting of that fact. No, I hear you. I guess what you're saying is the optics of it are bad. A, a, a Mercedes in, in dental school, a used Tesla trip to Cuba. None of these things are that expensive really by themselves, but the optics look really bad. And, and, and in, in his defense, he works hard. He makes a good living. You should be able to enjoy some of the, the fruits of the labors. But it seems to me that if we're otherwise going to pick it up, it just looks, you know, it just looks really bad. And for our listeners, um, hopefully, when you heard me say 390 a month on a car payment, you kind of cringe because I tell people, hey, try and keep it, try and keep it uh, on the low side of uh, $300 because you start paying too much as a percentage of your income for um, basically a, a depreciating asset. I forget. Is, uh, he had multiple kids, I think? I think he did. I mean, yeah, one or two. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, not to be a jerk, but... You want to be an orthodontist. You want to have kids. You want to have all of these things. And yet, we're going to pay the bill for it. Yeah. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear you say that. I thought you were going to suggest that he put the kids to work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they should. Come on. <laughs> but that's, that's true. And I'm not sure that his spouse works anymore, although she initially did. Um, she worked for USC, which is where he went to dental school the mm -hmm. first couple of years. And um, so, I mean, they, you know, they did some things to try and take care of this, but it rapidly got out of control. Um, one of the really, really interesting things to me was a quote. It says, well, gee, I, I thought that this was okay because it's always okay to go into debt for a house, education, or a car. And it's like, no, no, it's not. It's never okay to go into debt. Maybe a 15-year house, maybe, maybe, maybe for an education if you've got a very, very specific plan. But no, there's no such thing as good debt. It's all bad debt. Some is maybe slightly tolerable, and that's all. You know, another, another quote was, he didn't look at the amount of debt, it just created stress. Well, come on, what's the plan, right? Another big theme in these podcasts is, what's the plan, and it doesn't sound like maybe there was any plan. It was just stick your head in the, you know, in the sand and, and you, not pay any attention. Dave, do you think there's any class action against the universities and the planning and saying what this budget, this is what we think your projected budget was going to be. And then it turns out it's $200,000 more. And you're the graduate student that wants to get in. You want to do this. And they're giving you numbers and you're trusting those numbers? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. I, I've heard that there are some undergraduate schools uh, back east that will quote you a, a fee for all four years so you can lock them in. Because this, this fella, this poor fella, the, the tuition was going up every year, the interest rate was going up, and, and I guess, in, in all fairness, at some point, you're a couple years in and you go, stop or keep going? Stop, you know, what do you do? And you're on a train that you, you can't stop, although I guess you could always, you could always transfer. But uh, um, you, you really kind of wonder whether the representations were, were accurate, were true. And, and that causes you to pause and, and causes you to think a little bit, too. So I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Look at the look at the time. We spent all of our time talking about this. We got a little bit on our high horse. Um, but I think that we can take away from this some really interesting things in, that we can incorporate into our, our personal lives, into our spending. And, I, and hopefully some of our listeners had some of these things jump out at them from things that they've learned over the years, things that they want to avoid um, as they're putting together um, their plan. This is Dave Hagan, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, Email them to Dave at DavidRHagan.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.